Welcome to This Week in California Education, produced by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource. And I'm John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large at EdSource. John, you had the privilege or pleasure of... You could say that. <laughs> ...of going to the State Board of Education meeting in Sacramento this week. The State Board meets every two months... That's right. And um, this week, one of the big issues was considering the state plan that California has to submit to the federal government as required under the Every Student Succeeds Act. This will be the first time that California would have submitted a plan. That's right. So what was the issue before the state board this week? Well, you could say a lot of issues. It was seven hours of discussion. Seven hours. Seven hours on this one topic. And still a lot of work to be done. This was a second to the last meeting before next meeting in, in September. The board has to approve the plan. So had a lot to do. The Every Student Succeeds Act is a federal requirement. It explains how the state will spend about $2.5 billion in federal money, how it will identify the lowest performing 300 schools that receive federal funds, and what it will do to improve those schools. That's the sort of the crux of it. So what was the what what's contentious? What what's the main issue that was on the table? Well, it's a it's a tough task when you have a state as large as California and the state has its own idea about the way that schools should be and districts should be improved. And it really wants to create one system and it wants to mold the federal system around the state system. And that system is based on using the local control funding formula, the priorities set there, and the document that districts write. And also that dashboard we've been talking about before, that dashboard of colors that describe how well you each school performs with five different colors. So that's the basic structure of the state plan, and it wants to make sure the federal system falls within that. And it's not always easy, particularly when you try and identify schools using that dashboard, and when you try and decide... Identifying the lowest Lowest performing, performing schools. 300 schools, which is 5% of the actually works out to. And then how you provide the schools with assistance, who's going to do it, how you coordinate it with the counties and this new state agency, the California Collaborative for Education Excellence, and how you bring nonprofit providers. It's a complicated thing. And the state board has been struggling. It's got a framework, but it, all the details of how you're going to provide this assistance and, and how are you going to measure the schools and what length of time they should be given before you come in and say, no, you're not improving quickly enough. It's... Um, but what was one of the issues on how much detail there should be in the plan. I gather this plan is about 100 pages, which, yeah. is, which is not that long no. <laughs> for a state the size of California. And, right. And explaining how you're going to use billions of dollars. Right. Uh, but still, some people want more detail. Could you just explain what that tension is? That's a fundamental disagreement between the state board and some of the advocacy groups. They really want the state plan to be a commitment for helping low-achieving students. They want a lot of detail in it. And the state board's position is, as, as one of the staff members said, it's kind of like a deposition. You answer the questions, you give them as much as they need, but no more. And I think that part of that is a reaction to the No Child Left Behind Act, which preceded it, and the federal government sort of being over overreaching in its control. So I think all the states want to sort of say, Give us flexibility and let us do it our own way, and we're not going to give you any more detail than you have to. And that's a fundamental disagreement. And I asked State Board President Mike Kirst about that when I talked with him after the meeting yesterday, and, and this is what he had to say. 
A state plan is essentially a contract between you and the uh, and at the state level and the federal government, and they hold you to that contract and they monitor you. And there's a lot of issues where we don't want to turn the authority for review over to the federal government. We were under No Child Left Behind from 2002 through 2017, and there were three changes in administrations. So if people want more detail, it should go through the LCFF process. That could be amended. You can pass bills on ineffective teachers. But the question I would pose to these critics is, why would you want to hand the authority over to the federal government to be the person to decide how this is interpreted and the enforcement and the fact that they don't change their policies, in this case, for 15 years? So it's very risky proposition to put this in a state plan and then say, federal government, you enforce it. Well, that was Mike Kurse, president of the State Board of Education. I also had a chance to talk to John Affelt, who is managing director of the Public Advocates, a nonprofit law firm. John had a different perspective, and this is what he had to say. It's almost reactive and defensive, and I, I would much rather see some leadership and some proactive effort within the federal framework on things that, that aren't directly addressed in the state law uh, on, on how we can do better by our kids. So, you know, I think the state is so far been fairly underwhelming on its plans on how it's going to address the teacher shortage and uh, deliver a fully prepared and effective teacher to every classroom. And we ought to be being more proactive about how we're going to attract and retain and, and support and maintain those kind of teachers in our classrooms. I think the, the biggest current shortcomings are that there are some other indicators that we were promised we're going to get flushed out and fit into the system as soon as this September that now we're being told that's going to be another year at least. You know, I'm thinking about school climate. I'm thinking about broad course access. These are really core priority elements that are part of LCFF that we still don't have in our accountability system. That needs to be fixed. And secondly, the support and intervention system is at a, a very cursory high level, and that's really core to our continuous improvement system. I think the board has to you know, within the next two board meetings, adopt a concrete, definable plan of how we're going to support and intervene on the schools that need the, the most support. That was John Affelt from Public Advocates in San Francisco. John, one of the things that confuses me is there was a piece in the New York Times this past week about Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos and the department actually is giving some states a pretty hard time. They're going through their plans with a fine-tooth comb, Delaware amongst them. California hasn't submitted its plan yet, but other states have. Well, what, what's the story there? Well, you could submit it in the spring, which 17 states in Washington, D.C. did, or you could wait till September. And, and I guess California will benefit from observing how the reaction and responses to those other states so is the plan pretty much set at this point? Yeah, I think so, Lewis. I, the next draft will be out in early to mid-August, and the board will vote on it in September. And I think that many of the larger changes that the advocacy groups have been uh, lobbying for won't be in that final draft. 
Now, another issue that came up at the state board meeting was a lot of discussion about a new plan for English learners in this post-Prop 227 world. Uh, California had an, effectively a ban on bilingual education for many years, and uh, voters passed this Prop 58 last November, opening the door to bilingual education once again uh, in California. Ashley Hopkinson, our reporter who's been tracking this, was tracking what happened at the state board. Ashley, I understand things got pretty emotional at the at the meeting. Yes, it, it did get quite emotional. Um, a few tears were shed um, during the public comment section. A few people you know, struggled to get through their statement. They were crying. They were emotional. But these were tears of joy? These were tears of joy. Many people in the room were there under 227, and this was a moment of victory for many people in the room. And Mike Kirst made a comment about, because there's a lot of public comments, period. He said the, the public comment period was memorable. He called it one of the most memorable. There were lots of people coming up and saying what it means to them to have this roadmap enacted, to have this statement made about bilingual education being asset-driven as opposed to a deficit-driven system. What, what is that, asset versus deficit-driven? That being able to speak more than one language and communicate in more than one language is something that will be an asset to you throughout your education and to California. As opposed to in the past, somehow bilingual education was a negative, something that would detract from students actually becoming competent or being prepared for the world. Right. The idea that learning to navigate two languages at the same time would affect a student academically, as opposed to the new vision, which is that it enhances a student's academics and their opportunity to perform better in school overall. So you mentioned roadmap. The state board adopted a roadmap for English learners. What, what was that? Well, it's really a statement of guidelines, something that districts can look to sort of a standard way of approaching English learner education, especially under Proposition 58. And advocates see this as a big advance, that there's some formalized policy now in place. Advocates see this as monumental. It is a statement about where we stand in terms of bilingual education and not just a new approach to how English learners are educated, but a new approach to language acquisition in California schools altogether. Isn't one of the big challenges that California faces that there's actually a shortage of teachers to teach bilingual education classes or dual immersion classes, the various variations of, of teaching in more than one language. Yes, there's definitely a bilingual teacher shortage. And uh, Shelley Spiegel-Coleman, one of the advocates from Californians Together, she actually calls the shortage severe. I gather there is something, though, $5 million in the state budget that's supposed to help address this issue? Yes, there's uh, $5 million. It's going to be for a bilingual professional development program, and it's going to be money that districts can use to help get more teachers into the classroom. And any details on how they plan to do that? Well, specifically, the money is going to be released in grant form, a minimum of five grants, and districts can try to get this funding. There are two, not restrictions, but it's for teachers who have been in English-only classrooms for three years or more. It's also for uh, teachers who speak another language but may not be in a bilingual classroom at that time but would like to be. Californians Together did a survey of, I think they surveyed about 100 districts that responded to their survey, and they identified that there were 
7,000 teachers in California who speak another language who could potentially get their bilingual credential. Was that one potential pool of teachers who could teach bilingual ed? Yes, they did survey 111 districts, which is a pretty sizable pool considering that it represents more than 30% of the English language learners across the state. And what they found is that there's about 6,000 teachers who are currently in English-only classrooms that would be able to transition into bilingual classrooms. And they're also on average about 900 teachers that do not have a bilingual authorization to teach in a bilingual classroom, but would be willing, they said, if they were given the professional development and the assistance to move forward. So together, yes, about 7,000. Okay, that's interesting. So going with a current pool of teachers who are already in the classroom and trying to get them the bilingual authorizations. That's a really interesting six months after the passage of of Prop 58. I can understand why why the board members and others were so overjoyed. Uh, it really is a sort of a final renunciation of Prop 227 and heading in a different direction. And, and it's pretty remarkable, I think, at this point. Yes, I agree. It's all tying together. California has the seal of biliteracy, which honors students and recognizes students who graduate high school speaking more than one language. And it seems to be a full-on state effort all the way from kindergarten through high school for a focus on English language learners as well as dual language learners in the state. Well, thanks, Ashley. Uh, Really interesting stuff. And I look forward to you tracking this going forward. Thank you for having me. John, I did want to ask you about one issue that's been simmering, maybe boiling in the state legislature on the issue of teacher tenure and how long a probationary period teachers should have, currently two years. That's right. And Assemblywoman Shirley Weber wanted to extend it to three years in case of a district not being sure whether they wanted to give the teacher an actual contract and put them on what they call permanent status. So what, what happened on that front? Right. This issue's been around for years, and uh, I guess I'd, I call it simmering because it, every year it comes Not boiling. Back. Not, not really boiling this year, but uh, a lot happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So Ms. Weber wanted to make it a three-year option for districts that felt that a teacher would benefit from a third year. Her original bill would have been mandatory three years for all teachers and then a fourth and fifth year optional, but that bill was changed in the assembly appropriation, which surprised me to learn that, in fact, they can change the content of bills. So it went to the Senate Education Committee, and this week, instead of a hearing, Shirley Weber pulled that bill. And it happened at the same time that a competing bill emerged. And this bill was by Assemblyman Tony Thurmond, who happens to be running for state superintendent. He offered a different version, which is closer to what the California Teachers Association wanted. And so now we have two bills. And I, I think Dr. Weber pulled her bill and will come back next year. And it happens to be an election year, so it'll be interesting how that plays out. So it hasn't died, but it'll come back in a different form, in a different format or forum, I guess, next year. So bottom line, no action on teacher tenure. It's stalled, but it will be really interesting. Now you have uh, a version that Tony Thurman has, which is closer to what CTA prefers, which has more due process rights for teachers in that third year and ability to contest the reason for dismissal versus uh, Weber's bill, which simply says uh, districts have the option of going through a third year of probation and without 
of the due process, which is really important to CTA. So it will promises actually, Lewis, I think, to become an election year issue, given the fact that Tony Thurman is running for superintendent. Enough of me, Lewis. So give me a prediction for, for next week. Well, I don't know about for next week, but uh, we did refer to this earlier that surprisingly, the Department of Education, U.S. Department of Education, has been giving states a hard time with their plans. They've been going through it with a fine-tooth comb and actually sending it back to states and requiring them to upgrade it and come up with more ambitious plans. This has really taken everybody by surprise. I think if they continue to do this, there's going to be a lot of pushbacks from the states and Congress. I can see that Senator Lamar Alexander, as head of the Senate Education Committee, will weigh in that this actually is against the spirit of the Every Student Succeeds Act, which is really pushing it back to the states. So I think the Department of Education is going to back off. I think you're you're right, but much of the pushback was in sort of what's called peer review, the review by outsiders. And it doesn't necessarily, it's not the last word, and it, it's really not necessarily the policy of the department itself. And I think that Betsy DeVos, you're right, is getting all this feedback. So it, even these plans that have been submitted, they, the department itself may back off now that it has the final say in approval. Okay, well, we will see what happens. That's all we have for this week in California education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. For more on these and other topics, please go to our website at edsource.org. I'm Lewis Friedberg, here with John Fensterwald. Our producer is Sarah Tan. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. <laughs>